Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text intro to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is day 12. Today we'll be reading part two, Instructions for Elevating the Soul to God Through Prayer and the Sacraments, chapters 19 through 20, pages 161 through 168 in the Ascension edition of this book. Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. This is the penultimate episode of part two of Introduction to the Devout Life, and here St. Francis continues to guide us more deeply into the sacramental life. Today we're going to continue to talk about two, we could say, central sacraments to the the devout life, confession and the Eucharist. Again, moving us into action, into living the devout life, St. Francis gives us some practical steps in how to make a good confession, how to prepare for that, and how to receive Holy Communion frequently and well. So, Before we get into our reading, then let's say a quick prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly for the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 19. On Holy Confession. Our Savior left us the sacrament of penance and confession so that we might therein cleanse ourselves from all our sins, as often as we are defiled by them. Therefore, Philothea, never allow your heart to remain infected with sin for long, for you have so easy and accessible a remedy. Just as the lioness that has been with the leper then runs in haste to wash herself and get rid of the stench from this encounter, lest the lion upon his return should be offended and provoked by this, So too the soul that has consented to sin should be horrified with herself and cleanse herself as quickly as possible out of the respect she should have for the divine majesty who ceaselessly beholds her. But why should we die a spiritual death when we have so sovereign a remedy ready at hand? Make your confession humbly and devoutly every week and always, if possible, before receiving communion, even when your conscience is not weighed down by a mortal sin. For by confession you not only receive absolution for the venial sins you confess, but also receive great strength to help you avoid them hereafter, greater light to uncover your failings, and abundant grace to recover whatever loss you may have experienced through those faults. Thus you will practice the virtues of humility, obedience, simplicity, and love, and by this one act of confession will practice more virtue than by any other. Forever have a sincere sorrow for your sins you confess, no matter how small they may be, and be firmly resolved to correct yourself so that you may not fall into them again in the future. Many who confess their venial sins merely out of habit and custom without any thought of amendment live their whole life weighed down by them, thereby losing many spiritual benefits and advantages. 
Therefore, if you confess that you have pronounced some lie, though without malice, have spoken some improper word or been excessive in your amusements, repent and firmly resolve to amend. For you abuse the sacrament if you confess any sin, whether mortal or venial, without the desire to be delivered from it, for this sacrament was instituted for no other end. Do not make only those superficial accusations that some make as a matter of course. I have not loved God as much as I ought. I have not prayed with so much devotion as I ought. I have not loved my neighbor as I ought. I have not received the sacraments with as much reverence as I ought, and so forth. By making such a confession, you will say nothing definite which can enable your confessor to understand the state of your conscience, since every saint in heaven and every man on earth could well say the same things if they were to come to confession. Examine, therefore, what particular cause leads you to make such self-accusations, and when you have discovered it, accuse yourself simply and honestly of your fault. For example, when you would accuse yourself of not having loved your neighbor as much as you ought, this may well be because you took no notice of some poor person in distress whom you might have easily helped and comforted. In such a case, then, accuse yourself of this particular sin and say, When I saw a poor man in need, I did not assist him as I might have done out of negligence, hard-heartedness, or contempt, all depending on what you discern to have been the cause of this fault. Similarly, do not accuse yourself merely of not having prayed to God with as much devotion as you ought, but rather if you have allowed for any voluntary distractions or neglected to find the place or time or posture needed for assuring that you remained attentive in prayer, then accuse yourself directly of the fault, whether you find it to have been or not these general allegations that are, as it were, neither hot nor cold matters of confession. Do not content yourself merely with confessing the fact of your venial sins, but rather also accuse yourself of the motive that led you to commit them. For example, do not remain content confessing that you lied without, however, doing any injury to anyone, but rather also declare whether you did this out of vainglory, to praise or excuse yourself, in jest, or through obstinacy. If you have sinned in your amusements, confess whether it was out of desire of material gain or for the pleasure of conversation, and so forth, for all the rest. Likewise, tell how long you continued in your sin, for the length of time ordinarily greatly worsens the sin, giving that there is a great difference between a vain thought that passes through the soul in a quarter of an hour, and one that is indulged for one, two, or three days. Therefore, we must confess the fact of our sin as well as its motives, and the length of time it involved. Indeed, although we are not bound to be so detailed in declaring our venial sins, and in fact are not, absolutely speaking, required to confess them at all, Nonetheless, anyone who wishes to cleanse their souls perfectly in order to more fully live a life of holy devotion should take care to acquaint their spiritual physician with the evil, however small, for which they desire to be cured. Do not fail to speak of what is needed so that the character of your offense might be fully understood, like, for example, the reason for becoming hot-tempered or for aiding in someone's vice. Thus, a man whom I dislike says some light word in jest, and I allow myself to be insulted by it and get worked up. Whereas, by contrast, if someone else whom I like had said something even harsher, I write it off readily. In such case, I should not fail to say, I spoke angry words against someone, having allowed myself to be insulted by this or that, not so much on account of the nature of the words, but rather because I dislike him. Moreover, if in order to make the matter even clearer, you would need to state what the words were, I believe it would be right for you to declare them, for by accusing yourself in so honest a way you not only uncover your sins but also your evil inclinations, customs, habits, and other roots of sin, 
Thus, your spiritual father will acquire more perfect knowledge of the heart open before him, and you will more ably consider the remedies most needed for it. However, you must always conceal any third party to your sin to the degree that you can. Beware of the number of sins that often live and reign hidden in the soul. With a ready eye, find them so that you may confess them and be able to purge yourself of them. To this end, read attentively the 6th, 27th to 29th, 35th and 36th chapters of the third part of this work, as well as the 7th chapter of the 4th. Do not readily change your confessor. Rather, having made choice of one, continue on the appointed days to give him an account of the state of your conscience, telling him with humility and frank truthfulness the sins you have committed, and from time to time, once every month or two months, allow him also to know the state of your inclinations, though you may not have sinned through them, for instance, if you have been tormented by sadness or melancholy, or have been inclined to pleasure or to the desire of acquiring worldly goods or other such inclinations. Chapter 20 on frequent communion. It is said that the Mithridates, king of Pontus, after inventing Mithridate, strengthened his body with this elixir, so that afterwards, when he attempted to poison himself in order to avoid falling into the hands of the Romans, he found that he was unable to do so. Our Savior has instituted the most venerable sacrament of the Eucharist, which really contains his flesh and his blood, so that whosoever eats it may live forever. Therefore, whoever frequently receives this sacrament with devotion so strengthens the health of his life and his soul that it is almost impossible that he should be poisoned by any kind of evil affection. For we cannot be nourished with the flesh of life and at the same time live with the affections that lead to death. Thus, just as mankind in the earthly paradise of Eden might have avoided bodily death by the power of the fruit of the tree of life which God had planted therein, so too now they may also avoid spiritual death by the virtue of this sacrament of life. If the most tender fruits and those that rot most readily, for example cherries, strawberries, and apricots, can be easily kept the whole year when they are preserved with sugar or honey, then it is no surprise that our hearts, although frail and weak, are preserved from the corruptive rot of sin when they are sugared and honeyed with the incorruptible flesh and blood of the Son of God. My dear Philothea, Christians who find themselves condemned on the last day will stand speechless when the just judge abrades them for their foolishness, allowing themselves to suffer eternal death, for they could have so easily retained their spiritual life and health by feeding on his body, which he left them for this end. Miserable wretches, he will say, why did you die when you had right at hand the fruit and the food of life? I neither praise nor blame the practice of receiving Holy Communion every day. However, I do persuade and exhort everyone to receive communion on Sunday, so long as his soul be without any attachment to sin. These are the very words of St. Augustine. With him, I neither absolutely blame nor approve of the practice of communicating daily, but leave it to the discretion of the spiritual father of the person who would feel the calling to do this. Given that extraordinary dispositions are required for daily communion, it is not prudent to recommend it in general fashion, and since these dispositions, though extraordinary, are found in many pious souls, it is not advisable to dissuade from it in general either. Rather, one must consider the inward state of each individual in this matter. It would be imprudent to advise everyone without further discernment to receive communion so frequently, but it would also be imprudent to blame anyone for doing so, especially if he is following the advice of a prudent director. 
St. Catherine of Siena's response hit the mark when, in response to someone's objection against her frequent communion, telling her that St. Augustine neither praised nor condemned daily communion, she said, Well, then, since St. Augustine did not condemn it, I pray do not you condemn it any more than he, and I shall be content. But heed well, Philothea, that St. Augustine strongly advises and exhorts us to receive communion every Sunday. Comply with his advice as far as you are able, for since, I assume, you have no attachment to either mortal or venial sin, you have the disposition of soul that St. Augustine speaks of, indeed to an even greater degree, since you not only have no desire to commit sin, but are in no way attached to it. Thus, should your spiritual father think it proper, you may profitably receive communion even more frequently than merely every Sunday." However, many legitimate impediments may occur, not perhaps on your own part, but on those with whom you live, which may lead a discreet guide to advise you not to receive communion so often. For example, if you live in a state of servitude and they to whom you owe obedience or reverence are so ill-instructed or capricious as to be troubled or disquieted in seeing you receive communion so frequently, In such a case, all things considered, it would be advisable that you stoop down to their infirmity and receive communion only once every two weeks. However, this only holds when you can by no means remove the difficulty. No general rule can be laid down for such a case. Therefore, we must act in accordance with the advice of our spiritual director, though I do say with confidence that those who desire to serve God devoutly should not space their communions for periods longer than a month. If you act in a truly prudent way, neither father, mother, husband, nor wife will prevent you from receiving communion often. For if on the day of your communion you are no less diligent in the duties of your calling, gentler and kinder towards others, and do not refuse any duties you owe them, then there can be no likely reason for them to seek to prevent you from such a practice, which brings them no inconvenience, unless they are unreasonable and ill-tempered in which case your spiritual director will advise you to humbly stoop to their level as I described above. These words are necessary for married men and women. In the old law, God declared it evil for creditors to demand repayment of what was owed to them on feast days, though he never declared it was wicked for debtors to pay and make return to those who demanded them. It is something indecent, although not a great sin, to demand the payment of the nuptial duty on a day when one receives communion though it is not wrong to repay it, but rather is meritorious for the person to do so. This is why the rendering of this marriage debt should lead nobody to be deprived of communion if devotion causes him or her to desire it. Certainly, in the early church, Christians received communion every day, even though they were married and blessed with children. From this, I infer that frequent communion is by no means inconsistent with the state of a parent, husband, or wife, so long as the person who receives communion be prudent and discreet. As for bodily diseases, there are none which can be a lawful impediment to this holy devotion, except that which causes frequent vomiting. Those who wish to receive communion weekly must be free from mortal sin and without attachment to venial sin, and moreover have a great desire to receive communion. However, in order to receive communion every day, we need to have overcome the greatest part of our evil inclinations and should be making such a choice at the advice of our spiritual director. Okay, in these two chapters that we have uh, on confession and frequent communion, or reception of Holy Communion, St. Francis continues to to form us in what we could call the sacramental life, to sort of um, conform us to the life of 
Christ's grace through the reception of the sacraments. And he focuses on the Holy Eucharist and confession um, because of their importance, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but also because of the frequency with which they can be received. You know, for example, we're, we're baptized once, you know, we don't receive baptism again, and and marriage, you know, is, is sort of something you receive once unless your spouse dies, um, you can be married again. But the Eucharist and, and confession are sacraments that ought to be part of our regular um, experience or living of the devout life. I think it's it's easy for us to forget that the sacraments are at the heart and foundation of the Christian life. Um, in a sense, we, we get caught up in doing a lot of other things with our spiritual life, with our life in the church. Um, and sometimes the sacraments kind of they get pushed back or because we just get used to them being there, you know, that they're not as primary as they should. But St. Francis wants us to, you know, remind us that they are at the center, at the core, at the heart. So, Father Gregory, St. Francis talks about communion, Holy Communion, the Eucharist and confession together. He has been, I guess, something that might be worth our consideration is, is why, you know, what's the relationship between these two sacraments? Why are they why are they brought up together? Why? What's the point here? Why are they so important to the devout life as kind of like a unit, we could say? Yeah, I think the point that you brought up about how some sacraments are repeated and some sacraments are not, the way we typically approach that in the Christian tradition is to describe how the sacraments correspond to different facets of our spiritual life, not unlike how there are different stages through which we pass in our natural life. So just as in your natural life, you are born, right? You come to fullness of age, you are nourished, you know, you are healed, you are perfected, you are, you know, dot, dot, dot. So too, in our supernatural lives, we are born at baptism, right? We come to perfect age and confirmation, we're nourished by the Eucharist, we are healed by the sacrament of penance, what is lacking to us at the end of our lives is filled up by the anointing of the sick, and then our lives are ordered and governed by the sacraments of orders and then marriage in the ordinary sense. So when it comes to the daily fare of the natural life, a lot of it's just, you know, eating and drinking and kind of like minding our business with our family, with those with whom we live. And I think that um, the sacraments of confession and then of the Eucharist are that daily fare of our spiritual life and our spiritual growth. So the Eucharist is the sacrament that nourishes us and it fans into flame, uh, the charity with which we seek to love God and neighbor. And then confession is that, that sacrament of healing whereby we get back up after we have fallen. Time and again, you know, the Lord remains present with the offer of his mercy. So I think it's just helpful to think about them as corresponding to the daily fare or the kind of coming and going of our supernatural life, much in the same way that we have similar notes to our natural life. Yeah, and I think too, like in, in that, that one is preparatory for the other, right? That like confession, we go to confession in preparation to receive Holy Communion. Um, we we were talking on some, a couple of the previous episodes on the sacraments when we were talking about the Eucharist as the, what, you know, the Second Vatican Council calls the Eucharist the source and and summit of the Christian life. And St. Francis in a couple chapters previous uh, calls it the son of all spiritual exercises. And in order to receive communion well, and this is something that St. Francis is teaching us, how to prepare to receive it well, how to meditate well in the Mass, how to pray well in the Mass, um, we also need to be free from sin. And simply put, you know, we, we ought not receive communion in a state of mortal sin. So confession prepares us 
to receive Holy Communion. There's sort of a nexus there. And we talked too about that nexus of, or that like interrelation of the devout life, of our purifications, of uh, prayer, of study, how all of these things like our piece, you know, we can't really have one without the other. So if we're, we're missing something here, you know, if we're, if, if we're not receiving communion, if we're not praying, if we're not going to confession, we're kind of, you can't, you're, you're missing the whole thing sorts, starts to sort of crumble, I think, if, if that makes sense. So like what, St. Francis, I found when I read this, uh, St. Francis recommends, his recommendation for confession is, is weekly confession, to go to confession every week. Um, I don't know if people do that. I don't think people do that. I think generally, like my practice is I go to confession every other week um, about that, you know, about with that frequency. But I guess what, Father Gregory, what do you have as far as like recommendations for going to confession, for making a good confession? I mean, St. Francis talks about these, but what are some like practical steps for for guidance here? Of course, the church has its recommendation too. Um, so maybe we'll start there. But yeah, what what is... What is like good for nourishing the devout life, the spiritual life, the habit of penitence and these kind of things? Yeah, maybe we can think about it in terms of law and then in terms of prudence. Uh, so the church's law states that if you're conscious of grave sin, you should go to confession at least once a year. So that would be a baseline. That's a precept of the church. And then the Second Vatican Council in its declaration regarding religious life says that religious should go to confession every two weeks. And that's more at the level of recommendation than it is like ordination. Um, and I think that uh, it just, it will depend a lot on the pastoral practice of like, you know, kind of like where you find yourself in the church, it might not be available with so much frequency, uh, but where it is available and where you can avail yourself of the sacrament, uh, then I think that, you know, you're going to have to take steps to find out what works best for growing your relationship with the Lord and for confronting the obstacle of sin that trips you up in that pursuit. So, you know, I just think anecdotally in my my, my family, the experience of my family, we would often take pilgrimages uh, to Medjugorje. My parents would lead pilgrimages to Medjugorje and the recommendation associated with that is, uh, is every month, you know, uh, and I think a lot of people will profit from that kind of frequency. But I think that a principle to keep in mind is that it's about a relationship. And as with any relationship, there has to be, um, yeah, regular checking in and you can consult your experience with your good friends where you can pick up where you left off, regardless of how long it's been, but there's a greater warmth. There's a greater affection when it's more frequent, uh, not in the sense that it's like clingy or insecure, right? Like going to confession every five seconds because you fear you may have committed a sin in the interim. No, no, but, but it's the type of thing that has an habitual trust, which informs it, but also this, uh, this deep bond of communion. Uh, so I think some people will find every two weeks, some people will find like every month, some people might find every two months. I wouldn't recommend going longer than two months for a regular spiritual practice because confession isn't just a reset button where we get rid of past sins and then start, um, you know, like with a with a fresh start. Uh, rather, it's also, I mean, it is that. It does deal with sin, thanks be to God, but it also infuses grace, right? It gives us grace, specifically the grace of penitence, but other graces beside, which help us to grow. So it's a source not only of you know remission of sin but also of growth in the life of grace so i think that that's somewhat helpful but i mean when it comes to more general principles that saint francis de sales describes in these chapters it seems like he just encourages us to a certain honesty uh, and to a certain simplicity in our practice of the sacraments it's as if to say you know you don't have to complicate matters 
unnecessarily. Things are hard, sure, but they needn't be complicated. Uh, so when describing a sin, you know, be as honest as is necessary to communicate the nature of that sin to the priest. So don't invent things for yourself or don't speak in vague generalities because you like you suspect that there may have been something along those lines. Uh, but just, you know, be honest about those things of which you are convicted because you've made a good examination. And so too, you can see similar principles at work in the way that he treats reception of Holy Communion. Yeah, I think what you said about um, regularity and habit is really good kind of defining what principle for going to confession, right? That we want to build all of that we're talking about in the devout life is about building the habits or the virtues of of prayer, of frequenting the sacraments. And that comes from our sort of repetition of doing them, that that they become part of our of our routine, whether that's, you know, monthly with confession or every other month, whatever that might be. And and part three in the next part of this book that we'll get to soon enough, we will begin to talk about the virtues and what those are more. But for now, it suffices it to say that building the habit of penitence is something that is is St. Francis de Sales is encouraging us to do because it's so central to to the devout life. So we we ought to take that seriously. And I would say too, I think what, Father Gregory, your recommendation too, just to be upfront and honest, you know, what we usually say, kind and number for confession of sin, what you did and how many times you did it, or approximately, um, you know, there doesn't need to be a sort of justification of of things, but just to have a, make sure you do a, a good um, examination of conscience before and are prepared to to confess your sins well, um, you know, and, and that's really a habit that's formed over time. So yeah, I think, I think good. I guess another, I guess one other point for us to consider uh, is St. Francis de Sales comment on, on the frequency here of receiving Holy Communion. So we talked about the frequency of going to confession, now the frequency of going to Holy Communion, of course, he recommends going receiving communion on Sundays when you go to mass on Sundays. Um, but I was interested to see or to hear his sort of neutral kind of attitude towards daily reception of communion because, I mean, obviously we're a few hundred years removed from when St. Francis wrote this. So there have been different sort of expressions of Eucharistic devotion uh, with respect to the reception of communion through the, the last couple of centuries. And I think today we're much more ready to receive communion maybe not ready, but we, as far as what we do to receive communion with more frequency, but St. Francis is kind of neutral. Like whether he says, whether or not you receive it every day, it's kind of like, you don't have to, but I, I think there's a real reasonableness to this, right? Cause like, remember the devout life is not just reserved for the religious who have the privilege of going to mass every day, but you know, also for the laity. So I think he doesn't want to create scruples, right? That like you must go to daily mass in order to be holy. Like it's a great help you know, it's a great, it's a great boon in the spiritual life. It's great to be connected to our Lord in that way, but it's not obligatory. And he doesn't want, I think, I don't know, Father Greg, if you have thoughts on this, but I think he doesn't want us to be sort of, yeah, become scrupulous about, about it and, and that, or like overburdened by that. Yeah. I think in the background, there's uh, some differences in the canonical like laws. Uh, so like fasting laws, for instance, would have made it such that you you wouldn't have eaten in the 17th century since midnight of the previous day. So that places a more significant burden, especially on those who are more like gentle of constitution. And then, yeah, at the level of piety, there wasn't as much encouragement to receive on a daily basis. And you get some of this in the late 19th century with St. Therese of Lisieux, who had to obtain permission to make regular reception of Holy Communion. And then it's really with St. Pius X at the beginning of the 20th century that you see the present practice start to gain more traction. So that's just like, you know, think about in terms of the canonical law 
And then you think about it in terms of the Eucharistic piety, which informs the practice. But I think you're right to highlight the fact that um, as Christians, we're not obliged to always do what is objectively best in every situation because we're not like optimizing or maximizing machines. It's like, I recognize that in the world, there is the possibility of receiving Holy Communion. So I admit, I must do it as many times as is canonically permitted. Like if that were the case, we would all be going to mass twice a day. But I think at a certain level, we recognize that that's, that's folly, uh, but we don't always have the way or we don't always have the words with which to express that. But I think that it's, all of us are called to particular and concrete vocations, right? And each of those vocations is peculiar in some way because the Lord is calling us to follow him um, in a way that, you know, manifests and communicates his grace to, it might be our family or it might be to our religious community or it might be to our particular place of work, but it's always going to take on a unique shape, which doesn't demand of us that we all do the optimal, the maximal at every imaginable moment because it's about responding honestly to the Lord in the context of our lives, right? Our concrete and particular and peculiar lives. So St. Francis, I think, frees us from some of those scruples as you describe them so that we can be, um, yeah, kind of footloose and fancy free in our pursuit of the Lord uh, and to respond to the particular graces that he's actually giving to us rather than, you know, imagining other graces, which may not in fact be afforded or accorded. Great. All right, y'all. That's what we have for you today. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. To download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm -hmm.